welcome back to the bad bitch segment bitches welcome i'm courtney i'm kate and uh we're so happy that you guys are back happy fall equinox yes happy fall it's finally spooky season yes yeah, it's really excited. We had a nice weekend. Our friend Erin threw an Equinox gathering out on her property. And, you yes. know, it's always a good time out there. You get out into the country, get to be under the trees. We had a giant bonfire and dance. Beautiful garden to hang out in. Yeah, oh my God. She has a beautiful garden. Um, got some cute pics. We burned. have some great friends. We have some great uh, supporters. It's- yeah. It's nice. Yes, we have a great support system of um, some witchy people that. Yeah. Um, and we have our, our first entourage buddy, Mike P. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Is that what he said? That Oh, did we yeah. have that conversation? Yeah. I okay. In the kitchen. <laughs> He's like, I want to be your aunt in your entourage. And I'm like, is that what we're calling it? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to call our followers bitches. But they can be an entourage, too. It always reminds me of Easy A when she goes, you know, you call me bitch a lot, and it's not a really... Never mind. (laughs) No, um, I just... I don't know if I've ever... I I haven't seen Easy A enough to quote it, I guess. I know it's a good movie because I love Emma Stone. So, yeah. So, we're sitting here drinking our Oktoberfest Genesee. Yeah. I got a little totally bugging cup. Um, clueless that i got it spirit yeah i'm really excited about i'm uh rocking the mfm koozie that says fuck politeness my favorite yeah my favorite murder shout out anyway not that they know who we are at all um i've said (laughs) anyway like 25 times that's okay (laughs) nervous tick that's okay we saw a really good spooky movie the other day no one will save you Oh my god, aliens. Yeah, that was that was pretty good. That was intense. I really I liked like it. it. Um, when I posted about it, I did have some people disagree. They thought of that course. the aliens were cheesy looking. And I don't know, I thought it was a pretty good representation of what gray aliens look like. So not to give it away. I mean, you figure it out pretty early yeah. on. If you don't know what it is. It's then. just cool that like they added little pieces of like real abduct quote-unquote real abduction stories yeah like like, every bit i agree yeah like real abduction lore it reminded me of all the stuff you know so it's good yeah have you seen any other good spooky stuff the last couple days hmm no but i did see i think i sent it to you on instagram there's like there was like a haunted tour i sent you that you and rachel oh for the um Rolling Hills Asylum? Oh, maybe. I don't know if it was that. I think it was something else, but that could be it, too. There's one. My mom and I drove by it. I can't remember where the Rolling Hills is right now, but they do tours there and stuff, so that's pretty cool. Hmm. Speaking of which, can everyone hear me? Am I loud enough? Actually, I wanted to tell you that you're pulling a me, and it looks like you're sitting too close to the microphone now. (laughs) So, yeah. That's why I'm sitting this far back. So, yeah, I was really excited for my mom to hear the Vivian Westwood story. And I get a text from her and she's like, 
you're still not sitting close enough to the microphone. I could still barely hear you. And I was like, <laughs> moms. Well, <laughs> it's gonna take she's some time. a mom, so she might not hear that well anymore. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, I don't hear I that it. well. I'm 36. I don't hear that well. Just saying. But I was like, this is like a... You know, climate change activists, I'm so ready for her to hear it. And that's what she's Oh, God. Well. No, it's okay. I'm just like, my My sister had a lot of nice stuff to say oh, about yeah, that it. Was so so sweet she said her. it sounded great. Sending us a little voice message. And she said when she was abroad in London that she saw some of um, Vivian Westwood's clothes on yeah. display in yeah. a museum. So that was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah my sister's uh, cool, sweet little punk chick hi emma yeah um, so anyway i guess i don't know anything yeah. else i don't know we can get started can okay get started. i'm uh i'm really excited for my topic today oh i'm um, excited too yeah and i feel although i mean it is still topical because it is something that is relevant today you know, just the refugee crisis all over the world that's being caused all, by all oh, sorts no. of things. So, you know... Is this going to be a bummer one? Mm, no, I'm just saying, like... I'm okay. I'm it's okay. putting you in the shoes of, you know, somebody who's experienced something like this firsthand. She is a bad bitch. Some people might not agree with what she's doing, but... Uh, or what she's done, but you know what? I I just think it's it's relevant, and once I get into it, you'll know why. It's a little bit more history-heavy. I had to look up some stuff that I didn't know much about yeah. because, you know, it's history. So I got some a lot of information from Botanica.com just specifically to kind of put some of the more intense topics, you know, kind of summarize yeah. them a little. Yeah. So, and we're all learning here. So, like, that's part of history. Yeah. I'm glad, like, because I did the same thing. I, You know, you go into, like, you're like, oh, what does this mean? So I get to look that up. And that's, like, a sub, you know. Yeah. And basically, <laughs> yeah, I know that the, I mean, basically, we're going to kind of learn a little bit about the, the Palestinian and Israeli crisis today. Um, just what's going, like, just a little bit of what's going on there and, because we know this is still something that's going on today and is still a very hot topic. I'm I'm glad I'm doing this podcast when we only have like 20 or this episode when we only have 23 followers just because, you know, somebody I mean, everyone not has really, their though. opinion too. <laughs> like we're going to always go devil's advocate with anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously I don't know how far you're getting into, but I know that like a lot of people that know us or like people that we want listening to us will Because we're pretty, I don't want to say, like, we're We're, pretty liberal in that sense. (laughs) Well, I'm like, I would say as far as, like, I'm not even a liberal anymore because the liberals are just, like, kind of bitches. Not in, like, a bad bitch (laughs) So, like, I'm more... I was just going to say we're progressive. We're progressive. I would just say that we believe in moral values. We stand up for humanity yeah like we want to we're a voice for like working people i guess i don't know just like you know the people do who don't always have a voice like i mean we're gonna use whatever platform we might have to do that with this podcast also i think 
growing up white and especially where I grew up, I had a lot of like unlearning to do when it came to tough topics. We've talked about a little more. We've lived together for a long time. I've kind of gone way deep with that with you. But just I think it's really important to understand most people in this world want the same thing and they just want to, you know, feel safe and have a family and live their lives and, you know, be able to afford the cost of living and all that. Yeah. And also just imperialistic pursuits of Western nations, including ours, has like been a huge issue for, I don't know, centuries. Yeah. (laughs) So this, just a little snippet of it. And interested to see how people feel about this. I, I like the dichotomy of somebody who is fighting for something that, you know, they believe in what's right. And in a lot of ways, I commend them for it. But then on the other right, you have people who are like, this person is a terrorist. I guess we'll see. I'm just going to do it. A typical child's birthday to you and I would likely entail a cake, presents, maybe pizza, slumber party. Maybe like me and you, we told ghost stories and maybe played with a Ouija board in the, into the wee hours of the morning. Um, oh, no, no Ouija boards for me. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, they were never allowed in my parents' house. Like, I never went, had one at mom's. I never went, had one at dad's. But I would play with them at my cousin's house. Well, my mom bought me a glow-in-the-dark one because you could get those and... It was when I lived in Cabin, so I was probably like 10 or something. And somebody told me I shouldn't have it, so I threw it in the garbage. Uh oh. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> You're cursed. I think I also had a deck of tarot cards, and my cousin was like, You shouldn't have those, they're evil. And oh, I'm God. like, That's. No, that's a little different. But anyway, continue. My mom gave me my first deck of tarot cards. Me too. Yeah. I think, no, it's fine. I think many of us take for granted what it, what seems like small freedoms to celebrate another year past a solar return. But for Layla Khaled, her fourth birthday did not entail presents or cake or sleepover and definitely not any pizza. On her birthday, she fled her home of Haifa, Palestine with her family. Well, one to 250 of her palace 100 to 250 of her palestinian neighbors were massacred by two paramilitary or terrorist zionist organizations called ergen and lehi 21 years later she would be the first woman to hijack an airplane oh shit okay <laughs> yeah i'm into this yeah yeah so just a little Well, I wanted to let everybody know what Zionism actually is in the context of this story, because there's also Zionism in South Africa, but we're not talking about that today. We're talking about specifically a movement for originally the reestablishment and now the development and protection of a Jewish nation in what is now Israel. It was established as a political organization in 1897 under Theodore Herzl and was later by um, Heim Wiseman. I think that's how you say that. This massacre that they fled was referred to as the Der Yesin Massacre. This conflict was first of many bloody massacres during the Arab-Israeli wars. The first Israeli-Palestinian conflict arose soon after World War II, when many Jewish victims of the Holocaust arrived in Haifa in large numbers. 
and this is from Britannica.com. In 1947, as the United Kingdom prepared to withdraw from the region, the United Nations passed a partition plan known as the UN Resolution 181 that would divide Palestine into a Jewish state and an Arab state. An idea originally proposed by the British government about a decade earlier, the partition plan was rejected by the Arabs and the ensuing conflict over territory led to the first Arab-Israeli war from 1948 to 1949. However, both Jewish and Palestinian expectations for an independent state in historical Palestine can be traced to World War I, as the United Kingdom attempted to shore up support against the Ottoman Empire and the Central Powers. The Hussein McMahon correspondence of 1915 to 16 promised British support for Arab independence in exchange for Arab support against the Ottoman Empire. Though the correspondence discussed the extent of territory under Arab rule, historical Palestine, which was not located along the disputed edges and whose population was predominantly Arab, was not explicitly discussed and was assumed to be included in the agreement by Hussein Ibn Ali, the Emir of Mecca, and his supporters. But the following year, the Balfour Declaration promised British support for the establishment of a national home for Jewish people in Palestine. So what I'm getting from this is the United Kingdom or Great Britain promised Palestinian land that, you know, people were already living on, and they promised it to the Jewish people as a homeland also. While also promising that the Arabs would have the independence. So it's like this. Okay. So, and like. Can you just cap that? Because, like, agree? I don't know. Yeah, like, I don't know. It's hard for me to follow history sometimes. I'm like, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, no one can see. I mean, I could be wrong, but that's what I'm getting from it. Is just. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So, let's see. Layla's family fled from the massacre, along with three quarters of a million Palestinians, to Dahia, Lebanon, a suburb south of Beirut and home to thousands of Palestinian refugees. The major refugee camps were called Sabra and Shatila, and they were not much safer than staying in Palestine. Refugees were under constant threat from Israeli forces, as well as a right-wing Christian Lebanese group called the Phalangists. They also found themselves struggling in poverty with little access to food and her mother needing to split their pencils in half so all the kids could still attend school. And this is coming from like a middle class family that they originally, obviously, which happens to a lot of refugees. Yeah. The family most relied on URNA, which is the United Nations Relief and Work Agency for Palestinian Refugees. These refugee camps in Lebanon are known for the horrible Shatila and Sabra neighborhood massacres of 1983, where 450 to 3,500 Palestinian refugees and Lebanese Shiites were massacred by Lebanese militias, mainly the Phalangists. And the number is so, like, different, like 450 to, you know, 3,500, because there's a lot of misinformation and inaccuracy in the reports of like how many people are actually killed because it's, okay. you know. Yeah. At first following the massacre, Layla's father went back to join the resistance, but returned to his family after six months. I also wrote in here that some sources said three months and others said it was over a year before he returned. So I couldn't figure out like why there was such a huge disparity, but he so was gone living for a while. on in like a ref. Yeah. Like a refugee encampment pretty okay. much. 
So uh, let's see. So yeah, he returned after that amount of time and she saw how her father was reduced to a mere shadow of himself after his fight. And it fueled her anger towards those she felt had terrorized her people and occupied her home. Khaled describes her childhood as miserable and full of uncertainty, always asking her parents, why are we living like this and when can we go home? In December 1948, the UN adopted Resolution 194, which stated that refugees wishing to return to their homes and live at peace with their neighbors should be permitted to do so at the earliest practical date. But Israel never complied and Palestinians are, not, are still not allowed to return to their homeland. Rumblings still to this day? To this day, they, they're oh not allowed. Oh my God. Like, we can go and visit if we wanted. Like, we could buy a ticket and go right now, but they can't. Okay. Yeah. So, rumblings, Lucy. None of that. Come in or come out. Rumblings from the youth resistance grew in the 1950s. Many of Layla's older siblings had joined the Arab national movement. One of their goals was for the liberation of the Palestinian people. At first, Layla took part by aiding with food and supplies during battles. But at 16, she was an official member of the AM. Although Khaled's participation, I say Layla and Khaled throughout it. Her name is Layla Khaled. Sorry, I kind of switched between the two. Khaled's participation in the movement was stimmied in 1962 when she was accepted into the American University in Beirut to study pharmacy. She threw herself wholeheartedly into her studies, but eventually, due to money and with deep regret, she had to leave university, never finishing her degree. Oh, that's like... Everyone. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. Can you remind me of the year again? This was in 1962. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, when, well, 1962 when she started school, and then she had to... I think it said that she was only attending school for about two to three years, and then she had to quit. Okay. She never finished her degree, and in Kuwait, she became a school teacher, but always felt the pull of politics. In 1967, she joined the Popular Front of the Liberation of Palestine, a.k.a. the PFLP. The PFLP is considered a terrorist organization by the U.S., the EU, and Canada. Though its leanings are considered more partisan today, it is described as a Marxist-Leninist organization, a.k.a. the terrible communists. Her mother was not happy about this decision and wanted her to pursue a traditional life of a wife and mother. Her father, on the other hand, supported her decision. Colette had no desire to sit on the sidelines, instead opting to fight alongside her brothers and fellow PFLP members. She was inspired that the PFLP wanted both men and women to join in the fight for resistance. Being an amazing communicator and stunningly beautiful, she was quickly a success with the PFLP. At first, she acted as a liaison for calls between members of the group, but soon she was accepted into training camp. She'd finally be taught all the skills needed to join the front lines to fight for her people. Wow, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Tough lady. Although women were accepted into the movement, she knew she had to prove herself equal or even better than the men. Training was hard, and they were always on the move for fear of Israeli militia attacks. It was physically taxing. They were sleep and food deprived. But for Khaled, it was all worth it for her people. Like losing my voice today. So they're basically fighting to be able to go back to their land. Yeah, and ha well, and have like their land back. Like, it really depends on what part of the movement. Because I'll explain later 
Um, there's a couple, there's like, the there's the Zionists who only want Israel to be for the Jews. And then there's uh, people who, like Khaled, want the land returned to the Palestinians. Yeah, and then okay, there's people okay. who want them to come to like a two-state agreement where they're like, this is your part, this is your part and stop fighting type of thing but it's because like, there's people, people the fuck they want? Yeah. <laughs> like... borders aren't real yeah oh, yeah there you go <laughs> like, yeah. what the fuck i know you were worried about like people with see her as terrorists and mm-hmm. but if you think about like us going over to other places yeah it's the same thing like it's literally... occupation yeah like, we, we go there and occupy it's like... yeah okay continue rising through the ranks quickly Khaled soon caught the eyes of higher-ranking officers within the movement. When she was offered the opportunity for her infamous assignment she would come to be known for, she accepted. She was willing to fight for her people by any means necessary. (laughs) The assignment was to hijack a plane. Part of the training for this mission included learning everything she could about the plane they would be hijacking, as well as how to fly it if needed. Now, in this post-9-11 world, the idea of a hijacking is absolutely horrifying. But at this time in 1969, hijackings were a relatively new tactic being used and were not considered dangerous or as the death sentence they're synonymous with today. Only a few years after Khaled's hijacking in in 1971, D.B. Cooper would make his famous hijacking and escape from Northwest Orient Airlines Flight 305. That's what I was, okay. Because I was like, didn't I just hear a story that was like about hijacking? Mm -hmm. And like in the 60s and 70s, like it wasn't well known, but they don't take it. Yeah. Like you said, they don't take it as seriously. Yeah. I was listening to, somebody did a D.B. Cooper thing recently and they said that like, it was almost like, a, oh, we're being hijacked again. Let's just, I mean, yeah. like, during, yeah. at least in America with D.B. Cooper, like, in that concept. Like, this is, you know, a flight from Rome to Tel Aviv. So, but still, like, people were just allowed to do whatever the hell they wanted on planes back in the day. Yeah. Smoke. <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. All right. God, smoking on an airplane. That would be, uh, smoking on an airplane would be absolutely horrendous oh my god you're already breathing like the stalest nastiest air <laughs> and then it's like so you just blown smoke in your face but also like everybody everyone smoked back then okay no. anyway they're like oh i want to be skinny i'm just gonna smoke anyway okay <laughs> smoke and take this diet and pill this mess <laughs> <That's feed>. yeah <laughs> On August 29th 1969 Layla Khaled and Salim Isawi boarded And I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing these wrong. These are obviously, like, Arabic names that I'm not doing the best job at, but I'm trying. Okay. That sounds good to me. Leila Khaled and Salim Isawi boarded TWA Flight 870 from Rome, Italy, to Tel Aviv, Israel. They are armed with hand grenades and a pistol. A flight attendant named Margaret Johnson noted that Khaled was fashionably dressed in a floppy hat, tunic, and trousers, all in white. Soon after takeoff, they brandished their weapons, making their way to the cockpit. Khaled removed the pin from the grenade and stated, this is the Palestinian movement taking over your plane, according to the pilot, Harry Oakley. She had a grenade in her hand? Yeah. She had the pin out, too, which I was like, what the fuck? Oh, my God. It yeah. wasn't real, was it? Was no, it, real? it was all real. It was all real. Holy fuck. Yep. They were directed to fly the plane to Damascus, Syria, flying over Palestine on their way to the joy of Khaled. 
Upon landing, the passengers were evacuated, being told there was a bomb on the plane. Once empty, Isawi detonated a bomb, blowing up the nose of the plane. Although the footage of the flight shows the passengers relatively calm, they were still terrified. Many were crying. Some noted that Khaled took joy in the hijack, joking with passengers and smoking cigarettes. Later, some passengers did express understanding as to why Khaled and Isawi hijacked the plane. Khaled would say, it was meant to put, and this is a quote, it was meant to put the questions in front of the whole world. Who are the Palestinians? After 1948, we were dealt with as refugees who needed human aid, and that's it. Not recognizing our right of return, also to release the prisoners. Khaled felt that although the passengers may have been left scarred from the experience, she took pride in the fact that no one was hurt during the mission, and it was a small price to pay to get the world's eyes on the Palestinian struggle. Khaled was held in question in Syria for six weeks, during which she and Asawi held a hunger strike. As Syria and Israel negotiated the release of Palestinian prisoners kept in Israeli prisons. Upon her release, Khaled was seen as a hero to many becoming a symbol of the resistance with the famous photo of her, made into posters hung up in West Bank, Gaza, and the diaspora, as well as, you know, across the news across the world. So, like, everybody, and I'll, I forgot to bring the book in here, but I'll show you the iconic photo at some point. If you looked her up, you probably would see it. But it became this really famous picture People hung it up everywhere. She was basically known overnight across the world. The iconic photo of Khaled in her youth wearing a military shirt and kafiyah, the typically black and white scarf that has come to symbolize Middle Eastern pride, and holding an AK-47. On her hand, she wears a ring made from the pin of the first grenade she ever used in training. So this is this one. So there's a couple, but it's Ooh. basically this. Like she's just, she's this so is cute. the one that's like the really. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yep. I know that photo. Yeah. The hijacking also put the Palestinian story on the world stage like she'd hoped. Although there was some backlash with some worrying that these actions would put Palestinians in a terrible light. And unfortunately, the movement has been labeled as terrorists since these hijackings. Khaled's notoriety and recognizability soon created a deep fear in her. Her overnight notoriety wasn't just with the Palestinians who supported her, hanging her picture up for inspiration, but the West and Israel had also taken notice. She also feared her own self and the possibility of getting an ego about her work and status or thinking she would lose herself and what she was fighting for. She was willing to die for her people, but she didn't want it to be just about her. She wasn't the only one fighting. She was also frustrated by the pointless, sexist questions she was asked when interviewed, such as her beauty routine, if she had a boyfriend, or even if she had had sex yet. Oh my God. Are you fucking kidding me? Actually, I'm not surprised. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I wrote, it sounds like the stupid shit they used to ask 16-year-olds in the aughts. (laughs) In aughts? Like the aughts, that's what they call like the first decade of the 2000s now, oh. like 2000 to 2009. Yeah. Well, there's a commercial out now. I don't know if it was on Hulu, but it was like... Asking male males, sports players. Yeah, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, how is something... Can you do a little twirl? Yes, in your new Shit outfit. Like, that. like oh my God. Ugh. But yeah, okay. so she was like, what the fuck? Like, this has nothing to do with what I'm doing. 
it just, you know, whatever. Yep. So in order to not be recognized, Colette actually went under six different plastic surgeries on her nose <gasps> and chin to change her appearance. And nothing was too extreme to fight for, to be able to fight for her people. To prove herself further, she did these surgeries without anesthetic. And we have um, a child running around above our head. So if there's something, I'm sorry. It didn't really pick up on it last time. But we'll see. And she did it without anesthetic. This was especially important so she could take part in the next hijackings the PFLP had planned. This would be a coordinated effort to hijack four planes simultaneously and bring them to an abandoned airstrip in Jordan called Dawson's Field, and their mission referred to as the Dawson's Field hijackings. Okay. Did you say, you didn't say a year, did you? What year that was? So she's, um, this is, uh, it's, so it's oh, like, you know. she went through that many surgeries and you like had to <clears throat> heal from them and this and that, like. Yeah, so I didn't really get a perfect timeline, but it's, you know, all within, I thought I had written down the date of the second hijacking, but it looks like I didn't for some reason. Whoops. Unfortunately, this hijack did not go smoothly. And I didn't write it in here, but originally there was going to be, I think, four people taking part in this specific hijack and the plane that they were going on, but they didn't allow two of the hijackers on that flight so it was just Colette and her partner Patrick Arguello that were going to carry out the mission on this plane and then those two other hijackers actually ended up going on another plane and hijacking that one so their mission was a success on their other plane oh wow but when Colette attempted to enter the cockpit holding two hand grenades the pilot acting fast chose to put the plane in a nosedive rather than allow the hijacking to take place so basically anybody that was standing including Colette and patrick because the plane did the nosedive which you know gravity sent everybody this way um so she fell and as she fell she was also tackled by two security guards um and knocked out So her partner, Patrick, a Nicaraguan American volunteer of the PFLP, tried to shoot the security guards, but was shot instead and later pronounced dead when they made their emergency landing. We had to switch rooms. It was pretty uh, loud. One day we'll have our own pod room. Yeah. Okay, so so we confirmed also that that this next hijacking you said was... September... 1970. Okay, so September 1970. So she got all these plastic surgeries, and then this child decided to come to this room above us now. I'm just going to keep reading. (laughs) Okay, so her partner in the hijacking, Patrick Arguello, Nicaraguan American volunteer of the PFLP, tried to shoot the security guards, but was shot instead and pronounced dead. The other planes, including the hijack, included in the hijacking plot, made it to Dawson's Field, where one plane was blown up and no passengers were injured. Khaled was held and questioned by the British, but her freedom was yet again negotiated by the PFLP, and the British, along with the release of other Palestinian prisoners held in European and Israeli prisons. Although success in some ways, Khaled felt deep regret over the death of Arguello. In her biography, she said, I should have been the one to be killed because it was a struggle and he was here to support us. Khaled's release was negotiated by the PFLP after they hijacked another plane. 
BOAC Flight 775 from Buran to London. The plane was also landed in Dawson's Field along with the previously hijacked planes. This time, the passengers were not released. Instead, an ultimatum was issued to the British government that if Khaled was not released, they would kill all 300-plus passengers on board the plane. In order to prove the seriousness of this threat, they blew up the other three empty hijacked planes on the tarmac alongside the plane full of passengers. Damn. Mm-hmm. An international crisis ensued, and Britain, who usually had a no-tolerance policy when it came to hijackers, negotiated her release. The risk of the civilians was too great. Khaled returned to Beirut and married a military commander of the PFLP that had trained her when she first joined. The marriage soon disintegrated along with the growing tensions in Jordan. Khaled was in fear of her life from Israeli threats, so she decided to go into hiding, and her marriage ended in divorce. By 1973, Khaled had returned to the refugee camps of Beirut in an attempt to keep herself humble with her people. To be under light all the time was not comfortable for me, she said. For this reason, I went and lived in Sabra and Shatila camp to be with the people and work with the people. On Christmas Day 1975, Khaled arrived home to find her sister and her sister's fiancé murdered in her mm. apartment. <laughs> And as you were reading that, I'm like, oh no. Yeah. Khaled was the actual intended target, and it was meant to be their wedding day. So fucking tragic. She left Lebanon in 1978 to attend school in the Soviet Union, studying history. There she met her second husband, a medical student, and also a member of the PFLP, Fayez Halal. She returned to Lebanon two short years later, to work with the Palestinian Liberation Organization office. She and Halal have become parents to two sons, Bilal and Bashar. Khaled, and she still works with them to this day. Khaled has also maintained that her fight is for all Palestinians and the fight has been led by both women and men. Regardless, she has become an icon in the Palestinian women's movement. Khaled herself calls herself a Marxist and maintains that although she is not a religious person, She practices the values of humanity. The values are also mentioned in Islam, to be honest, to help the poor. Khaled does not agree with the concept of the two-state solution, which is described by Britannica.com as the two-state solution proposed by the Oslo Accords was born out of a series of historical events. After the fall of the Ottoman Empire, Jews and Arabs both claimed the right to self-determination in historical Palestine. A first attempt at partitioning the land in 1948 resulted in an Israeli state, but no Palestinian state. And the West Bank and Gaza Strip fell under under Jordanian and Egyptian rule, respectively. In the Six-Day War of 1967, Israel captured and occupied the West Bank, the Gaza Strip, and other Arab territories, which in the aftermath led to the idea that Israel would exchange land it had captured for peace with Arab neighbors, including eventually the Palestinians. Instead, Khaled would prefer the land be fully returned to the Palestinians. And especially because, like, they say that they're going to, like, give it back, but they're not. And, like, Palestinians still live in the Gaza Strip and are occupied. I don't have this written in here, but, like, Israeli forces will just go in there and kick them out of their homes and be like, this is my house now. Oh, my God. Yeah, like, super fucked up. You're all fucking house. Yeah, they're just like, I live here now. Jesus. Okay, so... She wants Israel dismantled. For her, she sees this occupation as terrorism against her people, worse than what fear she caused during her hijacking attempts. 
sadly, and like, I can see that. I understand that. Like any type of occupation or imperialistic pursuit, like you're just coming in there and being like, here I am, this is my land now, destroying people's lives. <laughs> yeah. And like, so they... And then- and people don't listen when you're, like, not condoning any violence. We don't yeah, ever yeah. condone violence. But the corruption a lot of times goes so deep that you have to make a big threat like that yeah. just to get any sort of change. Like, she's, she's just sucks. doing it to, like, get people to notice. Yeah. And, like, she didn't hurt anybody. Yeah. She, she like, prided herself and not. Yeah. So I I understand that. Like, I get it. I know that's kind of, like, a really touchy topic. We all wish that that wasn't the case at all. So I continued. Let's see. Sadly, the Palestinians are still struggling. They're still not allowed back to Haifa, to Palestine, while Americans, Europeans, and many other world citizens can visit whenever they want. Something astutely pointed out by Khaled in the documentary First Woman to Hijack a Plane, Leela Khaled. I'm not going to pretend I know how to fix the struggle that's been going on for over a century. I don't have a degree in political science. What I can say is I can understand Khaled just wanted to fight for her home and people. Whether that makes her a terrorist or a freedom fighter is up to you to decide and let us know what you think. Yeah. And again, I mean, I can't say if the same thing were to happen to, like, us here. Like, we live such a fucking cushy-ass life here in America. Like, we act like you know, we're invincible when we're not. It could happen. I don't know. I think, like, it, people also have to recognize that something like this could happen to anybody. And it's not just war. I mean, with the threat of climate change, too, like, people are being displaced all the time. It's yeah. the same thing. Like, refugees aren't just coming from places of war. You know, it's just, or, like, our their land, like you said, being destroyed. Yeah, or occupied. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah, that was Layla Khaled. She's, you know, that's the bad bitch of the week. I, pretty intense story. Oh, yeah, yeah. Good job. That Thank was you. a lot of history. Yes. <laughs> no, it's okay. No, <laughs> no, it's good. It's a little I bit just... more intense than the last one I did. Yeah. Um, but I just... No, it's good to, like, bring that to light, though, too. Yeah. So. I'm going to have all my sources linked. Um, there's some other stuff that I ended up reading but didn't end up, like, totally really using anything from you know someone like me like I can kind of get down with some of you know what she's saying and everything but there's a lot of people that like demonize her I yeah I mean and that's part of like the bad bitch segment is you can decide yourself if this is a bad bitch like I'm strong and I'm doing good mm-hmm. good or you're a bad bitch like you're an asshole. Yeah. But honestly, she's fighting for her people and to her that you know, that's being strong and fighting for what you believe in. Yeah. And so like, I mean so many people have the luxury of not having to not needing to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean I mean, you know, stuff is crazy, but I part of me <laughs> thinks that this country and not hiding it well I shouldn't say hiding it well but a part of me thinks that I mean with the, like I said with the cost of living and the way people are still treated it's just a little more underground and covered up I feel like mm-hmm. not to say that we walk out of our house and there's fucking bombs going off like I understand that that's yeah like we're lucky that we don't have to deal with that yes. here 
who knows for how long. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Uh, no, I get it. But, well, yeah, you're right. Like, climate change and stuff. Luckily, Buffalo's kind of missed a lot of that. Within reason, I mean. Except, yeah, except winter. We're still always going to have our crazy winters because of the lake. But, yeah, I mean, just, it's kind of something to think about how quickly, you know, your life could change. Like, this was a little girl living her life in a country that had actually nothing to do with World War Two. <laughs> Yeah. So, or World yeah. War One. Yeah. And oh, yeah. Like, or I, That's I shouldn't the other say that. It was World War Two. Like, like, they were far removed from what was going on in Europe. And then, you know, refugees from the Holocaust came. And I don't know, it just created a lot of upheaval. It's like, I don't know, Britain just, like, giving away land to people. Like, yeah. I just, I don't know. I don't it's like it. they were trying to help. They were just like, here. But they weren't trying to help. I don't know. They were just trying to get support for whatever the fuck they were trying to do, which mm-hmm. I'm not. I mean, I feel like after reading this, I kind of want to understand World War One a little better. Oh, my God. I'm so bad with history. Yeah. Like, unless it's music history, like, I can't get timelines right. Yeah. But I'm working on it. Yeah. And I think now that I'm older and researching this kind of thing I absorb more information than I did when I was younger so yeah I like this because I feel like I'm finding inspiration from the people no matter what it is yeah bad bitchery yeah (laughs) bad bitchery I love it (laughs) um okay well we did it another week yeah another episode follow like subscribe yes follow like subscribe at Bad Bitch Segment on Instagram, and we are also currently on Spotify and Amazon Music. Uh, Apple Podcasts isn't happening just yet, but... Is it Audible, too, did you say? I think it's on Audible. I (laughs) I haven't checked. But if you go to our Instagram, I have the links in our info. Yeah. So, you know, follow that if you want to listen. Yes, and thank you so much for everybody that's supporting us. We really appreciate it. We got a decent amount of followers, I think, for our first couple weeks, you know. Yeah. So. Even if it's just people we pretty much know. Yeah, like, oh, thanks whatever. Thanks for supporting us. Whatever. So thanks. Thanks, and um, stay bad, bitches. Have a great week. Bye-bye.